Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer and set of offers. 15,178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xE and Summit 4xE models and dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Welcome to Nobody Told Me. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. It's a pleasure to welcome our guest on this episode, leadership expert Drew Dudley, whose TEDx talk called Everyday Leadership, The Lollipop Moment, has been voted one of the top 15 inspirational TED Talks of all time. Drew has written a new book called This Is Day One, a practical guide to leadership that matters. Drew, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's absolutely my pleasure. Thanks for having me. Well, tell us how you came became a leadership expert. <laughs> you know what? By accident, I think. It wasn't uh, planned at all. It happened as a result of the work that I was doing uh, with a charity here in Canada called uh, Students Fighting Cystic Fibrosis. What basically happened is I found myself having to train young volunteers. And as part of the process, we decided to start creating some workshops and in the process discovered, hey, this is something I love and decided if I was going to do it, I should start diving into how leadership had been explained, studied, understood throughout history. And I guess the rest is kind of my kind of history for me. And it's been uh, it's been a heck of a ride. And the cool thing about it is you are never out of things to learn. Right, right. Well, for those of us who aren't familiar with that TED Talk, talk to us about what it was about and how it came about. You know, the TED Talk came about because of my students. I discovered Ken Robinson's talk, Do Schools Kill Creativity, fell in love with it because of one of my students. And what happened was I began using them in my workshops at the University of Toronto. Sure enough, the students come busting in one day and they say, there's a TED conference here in Toronto, you should speak. And I said, I'm I'm just a part-time speaker. And I had always told my students they're not allowed to call themselves just anything. And I don't know if you've ever had people turn around your own words on you, but they immediately said that's completely unacceptable and put together a a social media campaign to get me nominated. And, And so I ended up getting the opportunity to be on the TED stage and they gave me six minutes. And I said, I can't introduce myself in six minutes. I'd like to talk. And uh, I I didn't know what I was going to talk about. And I had this story that I used to tell, especially to young fundraisers, because they got so wrapped up in how much money they made that they'd lose sight of the fact that the very effort they were putting in inspired people. And so I would tell this story about one of my fundraising campaigns where I felt as if the money was what mattered, but afterwards a girl came up to me and told me that in the process of trying to promote the event, I had actually introduced her to her future husband while handing out lollipops in line one day and trying to make people laugh. And I saw her awkwardly standing there. I saw her future husband awkwardly standing there and sort of said, hey, you should break the ice with a lollipop. And two things I didn't realize that, you know, four years later she came up and told me I was about to quit at that moment. And then she told me, and I ended up marrying the guy. And that moment to let the students know that 
usually we worry about our plans, how much money we're going to make and what our titles are going to be and what we're going to accomplish. We put all this effort into our plans in life. And the biggest impact we're probably going to have on other people and on the world in general is, is always going to be a result of the unplanned consequences of our everyday actions. And I had that story and I told it all the time. And I didn't know what I was going to talk about on the TED stage. And I didn't think that story had enough uh, gravitas was the word that I used. And a good friend of mine told me, you know what? You need to get over yourself. Uh, <laughs> you need to stop thinking like a university professor and, and realize that that story matters. And that story makes people realize that whether or not they're running a charity campaign or whether or not they're the president of a company, every single person in the world has the possibility and the opportunity to create these powerful moments of impact by accident. But what the talk is about is saying, I accidentally people by trying to accomplish something else. What we can do is do those things more consciously. And so it was my students who pushed me and then a friend who told me not to be afraid to share the story that, that meant the most to me for fear of not sounding smart enough. And, you know, however many million views later, I get the chance to talk to people like you. So what would a lollipop moment be like for the rest of us? Can you give us an example in daily life? Sure. A lollipop moment, I say, is any time that unrecognized leadership is recognized. And what I mean by that is that most of the leadership on the planet comes from people who don't see themselves as leaders. So if you wanted to create a lollipop moment for someone else tomorrow, uh, anyone listening to this, think about, this is probably the most relatable example, think about a teacher or a boss who in your life made you want to be better who you still think about the lessons that they taught today and, and they still pop into your head when you have to make a tough decision. Think about that teacher or boss, send them an email tomorrow, call them tomorrow and just say, the things that you taught still impact my life. Because most of the things that you're thinking in your head, they probably didn't see as a big moment. They just saw it as them doing their job or living their lives. A lollipop moment is when this unrecognized leadership and these unrecognized impacts in the world are in fact recognized. And everybody listening to this could identify a teacher or a coach or a boss and just let them know because that to me, it doesn't matter how long it's been. When you get that call, when you get that email, it changes you and it makes you remember that you matter and it makes it more likely that they're going to think of someone and recognize it the same way. So that's where the ripple comes. Why is it so unnatural for us to naturally say kind and encouraging things to other people? Because it seems really awkward and unnatural to go up to somebody, say, on the street or somebody we haven't talked to in a long time and just give them a compliment. And how do we rewire ourselves to do that? I think part of the problem is, is that we go through an education system that teaches us to compete with one another. You know, there's only so much out there. And as a result, there's always this belief that anytime somebody says something nice, what they're trying to do is get one over on you or they've got some sort of ulterior motive. And I think that we just need to remember, we always create these images in our minds of the worst case scenario. That if we walk up to this person and we pay them a compliment, they're going to think we're weird or they're going to roll their eyes or it's just going to be awkward. But I think that what we have to do is always remember how we feel when people do that. If someone came up and said something fundamentally kind to us, we don't think they're weird. We don't think that 
it's awkward. What we do is we really do appreciate it. But when we do something, we immediately tend to think of the worst case scenario. And it's because, you know, we were taught, you know, we're given grades very young in our lives and we immediately start thinking, oh, well, we're competing with one another. And I think that what it really does is it makes people afraid of making mistakes. It makes them afraid of making mistakes socially. It makes them afraid of making mistakes academically and then in the work world. As we go through school, we're taught you start with 100%. And every mistake you make, you lose points. And you never get the points back. And as a result, it makes us way too careful. It makes us always, it makes us so much more, less concerned, sorry, it makes us so much less concerned about how skilled we are, how knowledgeable we are, how talented we are at any given moment. And it makes us focus on how many mistakes we made along the way. And as a result, anything that isn't normal, anything that sort of takes us outside of ourselves, we have been sort of socialized to avoid it. Because if it's a mistake, it makes us somehow less. And that really stands in the way of growth, leadership, and connection with other people. Drew, as we mentioned, your new book is called This Is Day One, A Practical Guide to Leadership That Matters. So what is day one? What what is that exactly? Well, the idea of day one, it it came about as a mixture of what I was teaching at the university, the, the theory and the background of leadership, and what I was experiencing in my life. And what I found is most of my students didn't see themselves as leaders. I've discovered as time has gone on, most people don't either. But what happened is it's because it seems so big. They didn't know where to start. And so I thought instead of trying to grasp the whole concept of leadership, let's simply give people a place to start day one. And a big part of it came because I, I'm a recovering alcoholic. And one of the things I learned in recovery is if you don't want to have a drink for the rest of your life, you have to choose not to have a drink today. And then you have to treat every day of the rest of your life like it is your first day of recovery. Because if you mess up on day one, everybody messes up on day one. There's an inherent forgiveness in day one. You can start over again. And if you've got 25 years in, you can't rest on that. All that matters is whether you make that core non-negotiable decision today. And what I said was, let's treat leadership the same way. If it was your first day and you could build yourself into whatever leader and whatever person you wanted to be, what would be the things that you did on day one? And then make those things non-negotiable. What are the core values you want to stand for? What are the behaviors that you you do? You'd call a former boss. You'd walk up to someone on the street and say something kind. You'd give of yourself or your resources somehow. If it was your first day building yourself into the leader you want to be, that's where you'd start. Day one says... Do that every day. Treat every single day like it's your first day and make sure those non-negotiable leadership behaviors, those non-negotiable behaviors that are so tied to your core values, who you want to stand for, they have to happen every day. They're not the only things that have to happen, but those are the things that have to happen every day. So treat every day like it's your first day of your leadership voyage. And after you string enough of them together, you're living a life of leadership. Do you think that some people are born leaders and other born followers? You know, what's interesting. I don't think they're two different things. I think if you think about it, the most successful leaders know exactly when to follow. And, and this is a common question. You know, are people born leaders or, or are they born followers? Can you be both at the same time? I honestly think that one of the great things about leadership is, what, is knowing what you don't know. And so, yeah, I think some people are born predisposed 
to the type of characteristics that we've associated with leadership. They're confident. They're uh, extroverted. They're, they like standing up in front of people. And I think we say, okay, if you're born with those characteristics, you're a born leader. It's not those characteristics that make you a leader. It's what kind of behaviors you engage in every day. And you can vary quietly. You could be the most introverted person in the world. But let's say that you're the person within an organization that always recognizes somebody's birthday. You're the one who's always there with a kind word quietly after a really tough meeting. That is a leader. The thing is, when we talk about born leaders, what we're usually talking about is not born leaders, but born charismatic people. The thing is, we've connected charisma to leadership, and two things have happened. People act charismatic without actually impacting others positively, and individuals who don't feel they're charismatic disconnect the idea of leadership from them, and they immediately call themselves followers. All great leaders are amazing followers when the person they're following knows better than they do. And that, I think, it's not one or the other. If we can embrace the idea that at either time you have to be able to do both, you have to be willing to do both, and you have to have the humility to recognize what you don't know and know who else to sort of learn from, that, I think, is a great leadership characteristic. Why does leadership matter? Why is it important? Well, I think ultimately when leadership is what inspires other people to want to be better. I think that leadership is anytime you engage in something that makes it more likely you're going to have a positive impact on your life or the lives of other people. And leadership matters because what it does is it makes all of us seek to be a little bit better. It makes all of us seek to learn more. It makes all of us seek to be kinder. Ultimately, leadership is example. I really think it is. It's it's not some wide theoretical thing. Leadership just comes straight down to whether or not you're behaving in a way that makes other people feel like the world is a little bit better place. And the nice thing about that definition is that everybody can do it, whether you just started an organization and you're 21 years old, whether you're a high school freshman, or whether you're somebody running an organization. Don't ask how much money do I make and don't ask what are my accolades or how many people I'm in charge of. Ask, can I point to specific behaviors I engaged in today that are likely going to make other people's lives better? And if you're a CEO and you can't answer that question, you're not actually leading. And if you're a janitor who can, you are. So leadership matters because the more of us embrace the idea that we're capable of doing it, the more likely we are to engage in behaviors that make our lives and the lives of other people better. And anybody who does that, you have every right to call yourself a leader. Say that there's someone that you want to get closer to at work. Once you've had that initial lollipop moment with them, how can we deepen that relationship further? You know, a big part of what I talk about in the book is how we can take these values we want to stand for and actually turn them into behaviors every day. So you create a lollipop moment. You recognize somebody else's leadership. But I think that one of the ways that we can deepen our leadership and deepen our connections is to start asking ourselves questions that we can't answer without improving the life of other people or a particularly specific person. So for instance, what did I do today to help somebody else move closer to a goal? If you could do that with the same person every day, clearly you're going to forge that connection. What have I done today to make it more likely this person will learn something? What have I done today to make this person feel understood? I think the key 
is to always be asking yourself, have I answered a key question that's going to make sure that I have in some way improved this other person's life? Because I think that it's not just about saying something nice. It's about asking, how are my behaviors actually positively impacting this other person? And so ask yourself, how am I empowering this individual? How am I growing? And I think in the process, you're really going to help yourself do it as well. It, to me, is about not just asking, how can I do this? Like asking yourself, how can I make a stronger connection? But it's about asking yourself, what specific behaviors have I engaged in? That's going to make it more likely. Anything that you do that indicates to somebody else you are as interested in their growth as you are in your own is going to result in stronger connections. Drew, who are some of the leaders you look up to in life now and over the course of history? You know, what's interesting. I I often get asked that question, you know, who are the people you look up to? Uh I really believe that all of your leadership heroes should be people that you know personally. I really do, because only the people that you know personally do you get to see how they make decisions every day. And I think leadership is determined by how people make decisions. Do they make them with the best interests of other people at heart? Do they make them with a commitment to their core values? And all we see from famous people are the results of their decisions, and in some ways, the PR of their decisions, right? Mm-hmm. All of your leadership heroes should be the people that you can see every day and that you can, lo- you can actually understand how they make their decisions. So all the people I look up to as leaders are people I know personally. Sure, there are individuals that I used to sort of say, oh, wow, I'd like to aspire to do that. But I started to realize that I didn't actually experience their leadership. And I don't know the truth behind how they made their decisions. But these individuals around me, a young man named Shane Feldman, who runs an organization called Count Me In, and he started that when he was 19 years old to try to help underserved youth understand and connect to their leadership. And I watch how he does that every day, and and we're actually supporting that charity as we sell the book. That's somebody I look up to. There's a young man, a good friend of mine by the name of Blake, who carries thank you cards around with him. And let's say that he's stuck in a an airport with a delayed flight, and he can see that desk agent is just taking crap from everybody in the in the room. He writes out a thank you card for them while he waits to board the plane and hands that over. I get to watch them make decisions every day, and I, I encourage anybody who's listening, I know the urge is to look up to presidents and scientific groundbreakers and the Elon Musks and the Oprah Winfrey's of the world. I get that. But I would suggest to everyone, reframe your focus on who your leadership heroes are and ask yourself, I've, who have I got to witness making decisions that impress me every day? Because all of your leadership heroes should be individuals you actually get to talk to. And when we reframe it that way, we start to realize that we can be that person to others as well. And I think that's an important shift, which is why I don't like listing off a bunch of famous people. One thing that I always think of when it comes to leaders are that they have the ability to unite. How can we pull together a group of people that don't get along? (laughs) That's a really interesting question. I think that ultimately, one of the things I've discovered when I'm working with groups is that at the core of every interpersonal or organizational dysfunction is a fear. Like people are afraid of something. They're afraid of having something taken away, whether it's money or influence or respect, or they're afraid that they're going to have something added to their life 
they don't want or they're not ready for or they lack the resources to accomplish properly. So every interpersonal dysfunction is driven by fear. And one of the things that I think we can do to bring people together is instead of trying to change the behaviors that emerge from the fear, ask ourselves, okay, what is the base fear that's driving these behaviors? Because when we talk about people not getting along, what we tend to focus on is, oh, they snipe at each other or they don't communicate with each other. Those are behaviors. The better question to ask is, what are people afraid of here? And I think that when we start discussing that and when we let people have the opportunity to say, my concern in working with these people is that this isn't going to happen, that this need that I have, I'm afraid it's being threatened. That is always the best way to do is to take a step back and to say, let's not worry about the behaviors that are leading to this dysfunction. Why don't we talk about what people are afraid of? And if you can't figure it out, one of the best ways to do it is to simply ask people that. Because honestly, most of us don't know until somebody actually looks and asks you, hey, what is your biggest fear here? It really reframes the conversation as opposed to what's bothering you here. Drew, ours is a two-generational show. Laura is a millennial. I'm her mother. And I'm wondering what differences you see over generations in terms of leadership. That's a really tough and really complex question. Ultimately, the way I define leadership, and I hope this isn't failing to answer your question, but the way I define leadership is talking about the daily choices that we make And so I think there actually isn't, at least in the way I define leadership, there isn't a big change over generations. I I think that the way that each generation makes their daily decisions is a little bit different because one of the things I worry about when I talk to millennials is that they somehow feel that their decisions mean less, that they have less of an impact. And I feel as if millennials are a little more hesitant to make decisions that deviate from this list that we sort of embed in people's minds about this is what your life is supposed to look like. This is what success looks like. And so you should go to kindergarten and play nice and then go to elementary school and do what the teacher tells you and then go to high school so you can go to a good college, get a good job, get promoted, you know, get promoted a few more times. And this is what you do to be successful. And what I worry about when I deal, you know, because I did deal with students a lot is that they're afraid to make decisions that sort of deviate from this guaranteed path to success. I say that leadership is when you choose to focus on empowering others on a daily basis. You don't evaluate your leadership over blocks of time. How have I done this year? How have I done this this five-year plan? It's simply, what did I do today to stay true to who I want to be? And that is the same for anyone who's 21 and anybody who's 45. What I worry about when it comes to millennials, the biggest difference is that when I looked at one of my students for the first time, because he was scared of what was next, you know, he didn't know what happened after he finished his undergrad, because it's the first time in your life you don't know what's next. I asked him, why do you matter? And he blinked at me twice. And he said, well, I don't yet. That's why I'm working so hard. And I was just, that is an unacceptable answer to get from anyone that you care about. Mm -hmm. And so I started asking other people that. I started asking middle managers and CEOs, 
like 95% of the people I ask that question to either can't give me an answer or they make it up on the spot. And so what's the difference between the two generations? Honestly, it's that I don't think there's a huge one in the way I define leadership because neither one can answer that question. And so the way I define leadership isn't about how you approach your career. It's not about how high you rise. It's not about the the different challenges that get faced. It's ultimately about, are you giving yourself evidence every day that you matter? And unfortunately, and this is why I wrote the book, there's not much difference between millennials and people who are 45 or 50 in terms of the fact that they don't believe that enough of their decisions matter. They can't come up with an answer to why they matter because they're not doing things each and every day that gives them evidence that they matter. Instead, they're evaluating how they've done over a year, over five years. They start looking at cohorts and deciding, oh, am I doing as well as other millennials or am I doing as well as other people who are my age? I know that we all want to talk about these cohorts and how millennials and others are different. I wrote this book because there is a core commonality among all people, no matter how old they are, no matter where they are in their careers, and no matter how much money they make. And that is that we're not giving ourselves enough evidence every day that we matter. And I wanted to lay out a process that said, here's how you can do that. And just also recognize that when you do, not only do you matter, but you're leading. Your personal favorite TED Talk is called The Game Has No Winners. It's actually not everyday leadership like you might think. (laughs) Why did this speech mean so much to you? That speech emerged when I was asked to speak uh, to a group of business students. And uh, eventually, if you make enough money, you start getting invited to speak at business schools because we've unfortunately started to equate uh, financial success with being a decent human being or having something to teach. And what happened was a student came up to me after a business school speech and told me, you know what's wrong with you? You never tell us how to win. He said, there's only so much money and there's only so many jobs. And if I don't work hard and get one, somebody else will. And you're not doing us any favors, Drew, by telling us there's some other reality out there. You're just getting us set up to get destroyed in the game. And if you really want to help us, stop doing that and start telling us how to win. And that interaction made me realize that the next time I had an opportunity to speak to young business students, because I knew that young business students become people who go out into the work world and and become business people, I said, I'm going to make sure I let them know something important. There are no winners in that game. There are only people who have been beaten. It's important to me because I came from an education system and I watched that so many of our young people started to adopt that philosophy that there's only so much out there. And the whole reason they were getting educated was so that they could get a piece of the pie. And it's because if somebody else did, they, they didn't. And that talk is really important to me because I watched how everybody was learning those rules and they were never being explicitly taught. And I wanted to let these individuals who were in my mind being taught that their worth was determined by where they fell on the scale of financial compensation, I wanted to let them know that if they approach life like that, most of their decisions are going to be made about what helps me. And true leadership is about making decisions that say, how am I better equipping myself to add value to myself and to others? If I'm going to tell students, if they chase money and jobs as goals in their lives, 
they're always going to feel unfulfilled because jobs and money, you're not in charge of them, right? Somebody else is always in charge of giving them to you. And if your goals in life, other people are in charge of giving them, you're always going to feel unfulfilled. But if your goal in life and education is to always build your capacity to add value, to give people things they didn't know they needed and they didn't know they wanted, that's something that you are in charge of. The game has no winners is my way of saying, look, only chase goals that you're 100% in charge of yourself. And that means that ultimately you're in charge of determining whether your life is a success or not. And I, I kind of started to believe that we weren't teaching that. Drew, our show is called Nobody Told Me, and we always ask our guests, what's your nobody told me lesson? What is it that you've learned over this journey that nobody told you about that you had to learn yourself and you kind of wish maybe somebody had told you about? (laughs) I think that nobody told me that the biggest impact I was going to have on the world would have nothing to do with my plans. Uh, Nobody told me that it was in these unplanned, unconscious consequences of my actions that I would have the, the biggest impact. Nobody told me that ultimately looking good on paper wasn't what the goal of my life should be. And nobody told me that I was living my life for people I hadn't met yet. And that to me is, is something that took me a while to learn is that think about it. If any of you out there are listening and you're young and you're in high school, you're living your life for college admissions counselors and you haven't met any of them. And for those university students out there, you're living your life for the first person who's going to read your resume and give you a job. And you haven't met that person yet. If you're a young professional, you're doing all of this so that somebody higher up or in another company is going to see you and they're going to hire you one day and you've never met them. And sometimes we're trying to acquire and achieve and look good so that one day out there, whoever that person is that's going to marry us, sees us and says, I'm impressed by that. And for a lot of us, we haven't met that person either. Nobody told me how easy it would be to live your life for people you haven't met yet. And what that does, it pulls your attention off the people who surround you every day, the people who have gotten you to where you are, and the people that you, if you choose to, can impact positively every single day around you. I wish somebody had told me that. I wish they'd sat me down the first day on day one of high school and said, you are about to spend 15 years living your life for people you haven't met yet. And as a result, you're not always going to consciously get everything you can from the people around you now and consciously decide to make their lives better too. Not that I didn't and not that we're all not doing it. The problem is we're kind of doing it unconsciously. I wish someone had told me that. I really do. True. I think that's one of the best answers yeah. that we have ever heard on this show. So we really thank you for that. And we really thank you for your time today. You've been listening to Drew Dudley, whose latest book is called This is Day One, A Practical Guide to Leadership That Matters. You can learn more about him and his book at his website, www.drewdudley.com. And Drew, is there anywhere else that people should check out? No, that's great. If you go to uh, book.drewdudley.com, you can also learn a little bit about Count Me In and the way that we're trying to support them because we want to live the book by selling the book. So that's at book.drewdudley.com. Sounds good. Drew, again, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, it's been my absolute pleasure. Thank you. I'm Jan Black. And I'm Laura Owens. You're listening to Nobody Told Me. Thanks for joining us. 